my axe! I'm hungry! Welcome to Get to Work Hurley, the podcast for everyone who's ever been frustrated by the writing life. I was going to say by the fucking writing life, but that, so that's your, that's your PSA right now. So you can get the kids out of here before I start swearing. I am your host, Cameron Hurley. And in this episode, we are going to talk about workshops and crowdfunding workshops and thoughts on how to weigh the cost or benefit of attending conventions or conferences or other events. This is sort of a, again, more mid-career level uh, issue, but also, you know, again, some, some earlier, early career writers uh, love to attend these things as well, so just some thoughts and discussion on that. And, you know, also some thoughts on why you may or may not actually want to do those juicy Star Wars or Marvel tie-ins once you uh, start getting interest for those. And also, the one weird trick for how you get invited (laughs) to do those things. So, I'm going to go ahead and leap right in to the discussion for this month. Thank you all for being patient. We've had, I've had a ton of shit going down uh, this last month here in July. I've been in Spain for eight days, nine days, ten days. I don't know. At the time, I was at that point where it all just fucking blurred together. And then uh, I just came back from a private event in the woods. Lots of stuff going on there. And um, a lot to do. It was a lot. I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking it's July. So thank you for being here for the next one. So in the science fiction and fantasy community, we have a number of long-running workshops that can benefit emerging authors. The gold standard, if you're not familiar, is probably the Clarion Writing Workshops, which are held now currently in San Diego and Seattle. Now, these workshops, if you do not know, they were actually an evolution of the Milford Writers Conference, which was put on by classic uh, SF writers Damon Knight and Kate Wilhelm. The first one of these was actually held in 1968 and was founded by Robin Scott Wilson and named after the venue, which was Clarion State College in Pennsylvania. Look at that. Fun facts. Fun facts to know and tell. So, yeah, it's pretty well established. It's very well known in the science fiction and fantasy writing community. The downside for many emerging writers, and and I was one of them, is that it's also six full weeks. And the fees, room and board, and time off are often incredibly difficult to negotiate. To figure that out is really rough. I always recommend that people start applying like every year as soon as they're in college. Like when you turn 18, just start applying uh, so that you have the summer to do it. The alternatives, you know, if you're already older, of course, is having a job that allows you to work remotely. 
taking a sabbatical. I, when I went to Clarion, I was with someone who yeah, was able to take a sabbatical from work, uh, be a teacher <laughs> with summers off, or live in a European country that actually gives you six or eight weeks of vacation because it's intense. It's intense, but uh, for many folks, it's it's super worth it for many reasons, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we go. So another popular one is Odyssey, and that one was founded in 1996. That runs for six weeks as well. A lot of the same things. Um, whether you do one or the other often usually has to do with either you want to use the word clarion because everybody knows what it means, or you just apply to like all three at once, Clarion East, Clarion West, and Odyssey, and just hopefully get into one. So again, they, or, or you love the instructors. They all have different instructors every year. And that was kind of a, a big deciding factor for me as well as if there's like really cool writers that you're just like, oh, I have to have instruction from these writers. Um, that's also a very great way to choose which one that you want to do. Now, because of these limitations, you know, that there's other workshops. So just from uh, Viable Paradise is probably the biggest one that's shorter. And that's held every week in, uh, or every week, every year, <laughs> once a week, in Martha's Vineyard uh, in Massachusetts. If, if for younger uh, writers, and again, I was taking workshops when I was 14, 15 years old, like local community college classes, uh, these ones would be way better. <laughs> I wish I'd known about them. Because, again, a lot of the writing workshops that I would get when I was a teenager were not specific to science fiction and fantasy, and no one understands science fiction and fantasy, except science fiction and fantasy people. So there's uh, the Alpha Writers Workshop, and that's for young writers age 14, 19, and Shared Worlds, which is also for teens. And that one, I think, is two weeks, and that's been running for a while every summer. So the issue becomes... It's like, hey, there's these great things. It's, you know, they're tough to get into. And especially the ones that are six weeks, it's tough to find the time off. But it's also, you know, while there are scholarships available, like this, this shit is not cheap. It is not cheap. I think my total uh, for tuition and fees and expenses when I went to Clarion was probably close to $5,000. I want to say 5000 just because, again, you know, the fee for the thing itself, the room and board, uh, or the room, and then the the board, yeah, the, the eating, the going out, uh, the um, and the plane flight. I was in Alaska at the time, so I had to fly from Alaska to Seattle. So there was there was some cost involved. It was it was not freaking cheap. And needless to say, you know, as a twenty year old college student working part time at the University Press, I did not have that kind of cash. I had like three hundred dollars at any one time. But as you do, I applied anyway. Because, you know, hey, fuck it, why not? I was taking a writing class uh, with David Marusek, who was a, a science fiction writer at the time. Uh, he still writes science fiction. He mostly self-publishes now. And um, he had said, I said, he's like, oh, you, you have you applied to Claire? And I was like, yes, I did last year, but I didn't get in. And he said, well, you should really apply again. And I, he, he was the one who got me to apply again. So that was great. And again, the first year I didn't get in. The second time I got into Clarion West in Seattle and then I started first, like first you're elated. You're like, yeah, I'm great. I have real talent. Someone saw talent in me. And then you like freak the fuck out. You're like, oh my God, how am I going to pay for this? And you start to do this mad scramble for cash. And, you know, even totally, I think I, it's only like very March, April, May, June, July. I think you have four to five months, 
four months, maybe three or four months to figure out how to come up with the money. <laughs> uh, so what we did was, you know, my mom printed out a list of like all of my relatives and friends of the family. And I put together a letter, a physical letter in like a manila envelope full of all the information about the workshop, about the benefits, about the costs, about my passion for science fiction and all of the other writers who had been to this, you know, thing. I think Glenn Cook and um, Vonda McIntyre, a bunch of, bunch of, there's tons of writers. Anyway, and um, I put that all together and said, send me the money. <laughs> and I remember actually thinking at the time, like, oh, surely my parents will help me pay for some of this. Ha, 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 ha. They didn't. They didn't at all. I don't think, I don't know if they did anything. They may have paid for, they might have paid for something. I don't know. I don't think they did, though. I love them, but I don't think they did. It all came from donations from uh, close and from distant relatives. We had a couple of distant relatives who uh, had some money that they were like, here you go. I can write it off as a gift. And I was like, great. I will be your gift this year. And, you know, it's funny, since this time, talking to other people, hey, how did you afford Clarion? <laughs> you know, we all ask. A lot of other folks, you know, again, before crowdfunding platforms, they just did the same thing. They, they you know, asked their parents, they asked their relatives, they asked their friends, their friends of friends, their former roommates, their bandmates, their coworkers. It was, you do whatever you have to do to, to go, because it is it is rather exclusive like I mean Clarion not everybody goes to Clarion uh, and a lot of it unfortunately is for the um, financial reasons but also just because you just don't get in you know people don't get in life is short folks ask for the fucking cash like don't don't feel bad for that and the rise in crowdfunding made me super glad for folks who were accepted you know, who, who, especially right now, I, as many times, whenever I see, you know, oh, we're, we are trying to fund Odyssey, Viable Paradise, Clarion, like I try very hard to reach all those people and, and bid on or bid and <laughs> throw some money into the pot because it really, those have really helped break down that financial barrier that keeps so many really talented people from attending like there when I was you know when I went to Clarion there were absolutely other writers there who were more talented than me there were certainly other writers more talented than me who got in and just couldn't afford to go right and it's usually marginalized writers who end up suffering the most for that uh, I was very lucky in that I had some distant relatives uh, who I could call on and you know they could help out but clearly <laughs> your support networks only go so far and that's why I love I love stuff like GoFundMe so this this brings it up though which everyone always asks and they freak out whenever there's always this perennial talk I don't know why every every workshop season every clarion season they, they bring it up oh do I have to go to a workshop do I have to go to clarion no nobody fucking has to go to clarion you know yes a lot of writers have gone to clarion but bazillions haven't, you know. Twilight ladies, she didn't go to Clarion. You know, it would be fine. Um, Hunger Games, she didn't go to Clarion. So, no, not at all. But here's the thing. If you think workshopping is for you, if you get a lot out of intense study 
and critique. And you want to level up your skill super quick. Workshops can be very valuable. Most importantly, they're a great way to connect with other writers who are about at the same stage of their career as you are. These these are going to be the people you kind of, you know, lean on or talk to and commiserate with about rejections and things. And they're going to be at a very similar sort of level, which is what I really like about Clarion is that they tend to choose folks who tend to be very, at a very similar stage in their careers. And you get to connect with them. And, and that becomes kind of like an immediate, you know, social cohort that, uh, that you can rely on. And I do pe- tell people that, you know, Unless they want to be professional writers, yeah, it's probably not worth the investment. It's probably not. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. It's clarion especially. But if you are sure that you want to do it and commit to it, apply, you know. And apply even if you think there's no chance in hell that you'll ever have the money. There's no chance in hell that, you know, you could ever um, figure it out. The SF, you know, the SF community is going to crowdfund you. You're going to be fine. We we do a lot of crowdfunding. <laughs> we do a lot of crowdfunding. Uh, don't listen to weird folks. There was a weird thing this year where someone's like, oh, everything. Well, I don't know why people apply for workshops they can't afford. Oh, you should save the money before you're accepted. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, honestly, that was the weirdest thing I ever heard because most people are never even accepted. This would be like telling somebody, hey, you know, you really need to start saving up money to pay for your malpractice insurance before they've even applied to med school. Like, why would you? I don't know. It, it was just weird. Now, all this said, I, w- I do feel I need to note, not everyone is served well by workshops. Okay. I know people who came out of them and felt like shit after and couldn't write for years. A lot of people started to go into therapy for various reasons because, you know, six six weeks is intense, you know, and it brings up personal issues and it brings up all sorts of things. And you write, right? One of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, especially at Clarion, is that you're writing so quickly, like, you start to get all of your your personal, like, shit ends up on the page. And so I see it, right? Like, I understand and I know people who, again, <coughs> they honestly decided that, hey, being a writer, this is not for me. That's, this is not shit that I really want to do at all. And and to be honest, you know, for the, that person in particular I'm thinking of, that was a valuable thing for them to learn. You know, afterwards they were just like, I that was worth the time and worth the money to not be spending all this time and money doing something that it turns out I really actually didn't want to do. So it was good. Uh, so again, do you have to go to a workshop to be a writer? No. Like literally end of discussion, no. And you don't need an MFA, you know. The most economical way to be a writer is to, you know, ensure the money is flowing toward you, which is another reason I prefer crowdfunding over your own money. <laughs> that way it's always going to be going toward you. Uh, anyhow, so so talking about wor- workshops always bleeds over into talking about conventions <laughs> and poorly run shit conventions. Oh, oh, sorry. Too soon. Uh, this is another one of those expensive things. It's, it's publishing adjacent, right? That folks are always interested in talking about and hearing about. And again, 
do you have to go to a convention to be a writer? No, you don't fucking have to go. Let's just, and I always say that, but of course that's not the thing that ends up getting quoted. I'm like, no, you don't. What's getting quoted is Cameron Hurley says you have to go to conventions. No, she doesn't. She says, no, you don't have to. Don't. Don't do it. Okay, now that we've established that nobody says you have to go, let me tell you why you might want to go if the opportunity presents itself. So in my day job industry, marketing and advertising, we spend a lot of time thinking about sales and examining what makes people buy things. That's what we do. And it turns out that we'd like to do business with people we know, and most importantly, with people who are our friends. And in-person sales and in-person events, these are still ways that pay off more historically than any other type of sales approach. Better than social media, direct mail, phone calls. is literally about showing up, showing up to the office with donuts, showing up uh, at an event to give a talk, connecting with someone after this event. These are classic sales things that people do. It's about showing up. And in this confusing sea of like faces where folks are of about equal talent, like, oh, here's six web developers, you know, online. There's tons of different web developers. They all seem to be equally, um, equally good. How are you going to choose one? Well, you ask your friends, well, have you worked with one of these guys? And they, oh, yeah, I've worked with Or you say, oh, well, I know this person because we're, they're go to the same, their kids playing the same soccer thing as I mind you, right? Like you just, it's just natural. That's being human. We, you know, the people who come top of mind when we think about a project, an anthology, a collaboration, they tend to be people you've met. That's not, that's not like rocket fueled science there. Uh, it's people you've met, you've interacted with on some level, they, they are familiar to you. We tend to prefer things that are familiar to us as human beings. Um, Preferably, again, the most recently or the most often, you know, that we've seen those people, that, those are the ones we think about. That's just how our brains work. Those are the people who come up top of mind. And, you know, it's funny. I've had to actively retrain myself to think about specific lists of authors to recommend to people before I'm asked uh, that particular question at an event. Because what I'll often do is I'll blank out and I'll search for the first thing I can think of, which tends to be something from like a white dude, that some something everybody's talking about that's top of mind, right? Now ask me after I've had a little time to think, and they aren't the first faces at all. But we live in capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacism, and we're bathing in it, right? Retraining yourself can be really hard. I still remember my my agent going out of her way to introduce me to an editor at a convention once. And she's like, you know, they only tend to buy books from people they know. And sure enough, you know, that editor made an offer on our next project. And I was super stunned. But like, yeah. And she's like, you have to meet this editor. <laughs> That's how people work. I remember when I shopped my World Breaker series, you know, right after my God's War, my, my God's War books, my first series, we kept getting rejection after rejection after rejection for months. And I was like, I don't. I don't think we're going to sell this. She was starting to think that too. She's like, I don't know that we're going to sell this. And you know, the one publisher that said yes, it was the publisher who six months before I'd sat with several members of their team at the same table at an awards ceremony at a conference. That was Angry Robot Books, 
where I met Mike and Lee at the time uh, and some other folks. And when you're on the fence about making an offer, it sure doesn't hurt having met the person. And sometimes that's like enough to get you past the gate. It's enough to bring you, again, a little more, well, should, well, I don't know. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that was fun. And we had a great conversation. And, oh, yeah, I remember her. She'd be fine to work with, right? There's another really good one. Uh, Jim Butcher tells this story. And he loves to tell this story at conventions. He said, you know, he sent uh, his manuscript to his agent, Jennifer Jackson, and got a rejection for it. And he was like, oh, okay, well, that's sad. And then he ran into her at a convention. And uh, they ended up, I think it was some group dinner, and she was there and he was there and they were all talking. And and uh, he brought up Amber Dice, the Amber Diceless role-playing game. And it turns out she really loved that game as well. And they, like, nerded out about it. And after the end of the meal everybody was walking back and she turns and go oh you know if you have a ever have a book you should really send it to me and he laughs and he's like I did send you my book and you rejected it and she's like we'll send it again he's like well but what's changed and she's like well I didn't know you liked Amber Diceless role-playing games (laughs) so she looked at it a little more closely right and that was the Dresden Files people So as much as people keep going on about, oh, you don't have to. No, you don't have to. You don't have to do this shit. We like to believe, though, and I want to make this clear because I hate it when people are like, life is a meritocracy, and if you're just a good writer, you'll magically be good. Because that just tells me that they are people who believe that the reason they are successful is because they're just good. I'm like, I'll tell you that's not true. That's not true because there are a lot of people who are way better than me, who are way better than people who are selling a ton of books, And they are not successful. Because life is not fucking fair. It's not. There's a lot of luck involved. And yes, your luck gets better the more work you put in and the more times you bet and the better writer you are. But at a certain level of skill, when you're no better or worse than anyone else, the truth is that sometimes it's personal connections that make that difference. And that's why I go to conventions. Not going to lie. Not going to pretend. For any other reason, I am an introvert by nature. The truth is that uh, I was seen as more serious. I was recommended for more opportunities. And I was invited to more anthologies once I started to go to conventions. And let me tell you, it fucking pissed me off. Pissed me off to know that. And my husband afterwards where he's just like, and in fact it was. I, I, I had actually asked him, like, why does such and such a writer get invitations to such and such things and they're not a very good writer and he turns to me he goes because they go to all the conventions and they meet the editors and of course they think of them when they're sending out invitations like god damn it sure enough though I started going and they thought of me and suddenly I was getting these invitations as well Mm. and again if you can't go of course you're still a writer you can succeed it's just a little easier it helps. It's not going to hurt you unless you're like a total dick. And in which case, yeah, don't go to conventions. But anyone who says, and this is why I actually get really mad when people say this, anyone who says it doesn't make it easier, all other things being equal, like you're equally good as some other writer. Anyone who says that if you, you know, going to conventions doesn't make it any easier to be published is a fucking liar. (laughs) They're lying to you. They're lying to you to make you feel better because you can't go. 
uh, it makes it easier. There are several things that make it easier. Yes, it does make it easier if you go to clearing. Yes, it does make Does that mean that if you don't do those things that you will fail? No, not at all. But, you know, when we talk about levels of privilege, I always think of these this sort of thing. It's like, it's privilege is, is not saying you will never succeed. It's saying people with these privileges are more likely to succeed because the system is set up that way, right? And these are steps of privilege, right? They're, they're things that, that help you for better or worse. Um, can you still buck that and be better and more successful? Of course. Everybody has their own path. I'm just telling you some things that might make it easier. <laughs> make it easier. So if, like me, you've got like limited mental and physical resources to do these sorts of things, you might have to weigh the benefits and drawbacks of attending and that's totally true. Like I went to my first world con. I was like, this is a bunch of bullshit and I never want to come to one of these again. I hate all these people and they, no one talks to me and it's horrible. And it was, that was horrible. It took, um, I think confusion really, it was going to confusion a lot. And again, I had to go like three years in a row, which was really hard because like the first year I felt like an idiot and I was like, why well, I'm even here the second year. I just went straight to the bar and had like two shots and then and then I think like Wesley Chu or somebody came out and started talking to me. And I was like, oh, thank God. Someone's talking to me. <laughs> and then it got easier. But it did get easier the more I went. Um, again, other authors have told me this. The more you go, the more people feel like they know you and the easier they get. But, man, those first few ones, I will not fucking lie. They are hard. And the truth is that unless you're already a big name, you probably aren't going to like sell a ton of books. Like you may not even have a book out. So you're not going to sell books at conventions. And while it's a great place to meet with and nurture, like, some of your biggest fans, like, if you ever, like, again, even short story writers, I have huge fans. When you're early in your career, like, your main goal is just to be seen and to say smart shit and meet other interesting, like-minded folks and have interesting conversations and enjoy yourself, right? If you go and you enjoy yourself and you have fun, people are like, oh, yeah, that person's enjoyable and wonderful and have fun. And, yeah, occasionally it's like, oh, I will – you know, yeah, maybe I like their books or I don't like their books, but it really doesn't matter. It's also when someone comes to me and says, Cameron, can you do X? And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to be in this anthology. But have you asked this person, this person, this person? Who I'm like, oh, yeah, I met them at a thing. And it reminds me that they might be interested in this. Well, that's how it works, people. That's how it works. You know, for most authors today, conventions and conferences are so much more of the professional event it's like a it's like a professional event where parties happen not parties where occasionally business is discussed <laughs> and this shit in the convention scene it's um taken a lot of convention organizers by surprise i feel like especially these fan run uh, conventions volunteers uh, because it means that if an author is an invited guest like we are starting to expect to actually be treated professionally and compensated in some way <laughs> It's not like we're just going to have a party. Sometimes we are. Confusion, we go to have a party. But it's business. Um, but we do more and more, and especially again with like the big comic cons and stuff where they do, you know, pay pay at least some expenses. Uh, you know, most fan-run conventions are not going to pay for rooms and expenses. They're only going to pay for it if you're like an invited guest of honor. The rest of us, like we are all expected to pay our own way. This is why the financial thing is such a big deal. Like, many of us, like, even have to pay the attendance fee 
despite being on panels, like we are the programming and we're paying the fee, like Worldcon's like that. They'll reimburse you if they make so much money, but again, it's after the fact, you get $500 back. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. It's sort of ridiculous, like that last bit. <laughs> that's, that's what you tend to expect is you're not, you are out a ton of money. So you have to choose, you know, pick and choose what you want to do. And again, because most science fiction conventions, they're run by volunteers, they can be really great or they can be really awful. You get conventions like in their first year that just implode and never pay their guests of honor and, you know, pass around a hat because they can't pay their fees to the hotel. They put you up in a friend's house on a couch and they don't give you time for meals, let alone money for it. Uh, again, as a panelist as opposed to a guest, you can at least like shake all this out on your own so you don't have to rely on craziness. Um, one writer I know actually refuses to be a guest of honor at an event that has been going on for less than two years. First year events are just a notorious mess. So for me, I have to do the math. I go to cons for three reasons. And it's great when all three are fulfilled, but it, you know, usually it's one. I go to connect or reconnect with people I, you know, know or don't know to, you know, make professional connection and I don't, I don't mean and I don't mean like connection I mean like just to meet people and have fun if you go in there like I'm networking like no one wants to talk to you just don't do that just yeah talk about like I don't know whiskey and dogs like everyone likes that or if they don't like whiskey or dogs they'll, they'll have a passionate reason why not and you can have a conversation so the second reason would be to interact with new and or target audiences for my work, which is some of like the bigger conventions are good for that. And then the third reason would be that I'm like a guest of honor or a speaker and I'm getting paid and or reimbursed very well uh, at a destination that makes sense with either my, pers my personal and publication schedule, really. So smaller conventions like ReaderCon and Confusion in Detroit are sort of that first type. I go there to see writers I know, to get exposed to new work from emerging writers, and to participate in discussions and conversations beyond like the 100 level. And those are the sorts of events, again, I expect I'm going to be pay out of pocket for. That's why I actually like Confusion because it's not too expensive. It's in Detroit, outside of Detroit, actually. And um, driving distance, so we're not out for, you know, tons of, uh, tons of expenses. And then the second type are usually conventions like Gen Con, Dragon Con, various Comic Cons. There's so many now. Uh, Convergence. And select world cons, like Helsinki, you know, <laughs> usually the ones overseas. They're usually run a little bit better than the U.S. cons generally. And these are only worth doing if I can get on, like, a significant number of programming items or, again, if I'm a guest of honor or invited guest and at least getting expenses paid because, yeah, they're just – they're expensive. There's a lot of people. So I need to make sure, yeah, either, either I'm getting lots of exposure through programming or it's totally paid. And then the third type, you know, the money type, that can also include speaking engagements uh, at conferences that sort of make sense with my, my work. So I was a keynote speaker at an embodiment in science fiction conference in Canada recently. And I actually broke my, you know, don't do the first year of a conference rule because I was being paid an, a very adequate speaking fee and expenses fee. And I mean, like embodiment in science fiction and that it, it totally fit my work to a T and I was excited to write, you know, and, and present the talk, which always helps. 
and this in, uh, this was also why I chose to go to I, again this I said you know I was in Spain I got to go to the Celsius Festival in Spain this year and it's been running for a long time what did he say seven years a long time so and the festival uh, teamed up actually with my Spanish publisher and they paid for like all my flights and, like 90% of my meals the cars to and from various airports they set up like over a dozen interviews with major Spanish media organizations and provided translators and set up two more events, one in Madrid and one in Barcelona, which happened on either side of the festival that I was speaking at. And I spoke every day at the festival. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was eight days of work. It was work, but it was rewarding. I felt like, oh, I've come here for a purpose. You know, we taught my Geek Feminist Revolution to come out there and Stars are Legion and people were really happy to talk about it and I was super tired afterwards like I was so fucking exhausted as I said in the beginning here and it was the first time I but it, it was like the first time I'd ever been treated with anything like celebrity status I mean when somebody sends you your media schedule for the day it's like so surreal so those are the three types and that's kind of how I bunch them up and how I think about them but everybody's math on that is going to be different for some and again it's going to depend on what your writing goals are. What are your writing goals? What are your career goals? What do you want to do, you know, with your life? And that's that sort of gets us back more into this writing focus, talking about what are we focused on? What are we goals? And, you know, I had a few questions when I was in Spain about whether or not I would do tie-in work for like Star Wars or Marvel. And this is again this is a a very hot topic because like every other time I turn around there's another author I know doing a tie-in I had an author uh text me at one point and be like oh I have this crucial deadline and I've signed an NDA and I can't say anything or ninjas will will kill me and I said oh that sounds like a Star Wars project and they didn't respond (laughs) sure enough several months later (laughs) so you know, yeah, I've been asked about tie-in work, and I've I've turned it down generally. There may be a few properties I'd consider, but for the most part, when I look at the sort of career I want to have, you know, writing work for hire really isn't my preference currently. Like, I have a day job. Again, the reason is I do work for hire all day already. Marketing and advertising work. It all goes through a very similar grinding process, complete with NDAs. You know, it's like rush, 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 rush. You know, many hands weeding through it, lots of people changing things, years crushing deadlines, there's tons of rules. And when I come home and write, I would like to be writing for myself right now in my career, not for somebody else. That's just what I want to do. <laughs> you know, it, it's the career I want to have. Like, I want to write Cameron Hurley books. I want to create a whole genre, right, that's just like, Cameron Hurley's brutal women books. It's just that's the genre, like brutal women, Cameron Hurley. And is then I have to think, right? Is playing in a particular Italian world going to support that? Like sometimes, you know, I can see people saying that. Well, yeah, then you get in the New York Times bestsellerist, and then you can always say you're a New York Times bestseller, or you know. But for the most part, as we have seen, you know, you have a. You have a Star Wars book come out and it does nothing for your backlist because people are buying Star Wars books. They're not buying Cameron Hurley books. Uh, they're buying Star Wars books. And I'm very aware of that and I've talked to lots of other writers about that and they're just like, yeah, it's it does nothing for your other sales. It's it's purely because you want to have a lot of fun. You want to say I wrote a Star Wars novel, right? Um, 
and you know everyone I've talked to has been like yeah it's super cool Skywalker Ranch and then the book is due in six weeks and if you break the NDA they will murder your firstborn child and you have to get a big outline approved at some point and you're just turning it over and you don't see it again and then you know all these all these things and I mean there just aren't that many properties that I get that excited about that I'd be willing to go through that grinder <laughs> when we think about doing tie-in work we think of it I think in the collective mind like outside of the actual business of tie-in work we think of it like being fan fiction where because it is I mean it is fan fiction you're writing fan fiction but but you do it on your own time and you have like like your own a lot of more of yourself can do in it in the industry the industry though is more like advertising than creative writing because they are very specifically creating a product and authors there are always other authors you know what I'm saying I don't know it's it's always going to be Star Wars and the authors will always change and I don't know I don't know for me personally it doesn't work but yes sure you know if you're a full-time writer and not doing other work for hire you know like I do with my day job it might totally make sense for you it might make sense for me if you just really love Star Wars and want to do Star Wars only yes uh, and yes, before you ask, as I teased at the beginning, the only way to get these jobs is to be invited to do them. Remember what I said about going to conventions? So when folks from Marvel or Star Wars or whatever, like ask each other and other writers, hey, who would be some good writers you'd recommend for a specific project? Who do you think they're likely to think about first when asked this question? Probably other writers they know, who they have met, possibly at conventions. Um, there have been quite a few instances, you know, we've seen people like, hey, I want to write for X-Men. I want to write for, you know, Star Wars and all of that. And, and they'll say that publicly on social media. And yes, sometimes those those properties, they see that on social media. Other times, which is one of the ones I know that I was asked to do, uh, was simply someone said, hey, I can't do this, but here are some suggestions for people who could do it. And I was one of the people suggested um, several, actually there were two that I came up for that. And for that very reason, um, again, people I knew and or had worked with. So just saying, just saying, all of these things are connected. It's not a mystery. So anyhow, uh, that's not my bag at this point in my career, but you do you people. One thing that was super important to me and very helpful was figuring out my own goals as a writer. It made a lot of it made it just like a lot easier to sort through all the opportunities I started to get. And I could just say, okay, that sounds fun, but does it really help get me to where I want to be? And if the answer is no, then I don't do it. But it took me a while to figure out what my goal was. It, and that's why I think it's important to sit down and reevaluate your career goals over time to make sure you're like still heading in the right direction and not fucking it up <laughs> or you're gonna fuck it up but try to try to get back on course because sometimes it changes again it, you know some project that was not right for you now is maybe right for you at a different time so you have to keep all that in mind and speaking of career goals I need to head back to my own writing cave folks because I have got copy edits due on the light brigade Oh my gosh, I have them due to my Spanish publisher, my UK publisher, and my US publisher. All on Friday. So that needs to happen. 
<laughs> and I also need to finish this body hopping mercenary story for Patreon subscribers for this month. Now, remember that you can sign up actually to get monthly stories from me and support this podcast at the same time at patreon.com forward slash Cameron Hurley. And that is Cameron with a K people. It's funny, you know, it's funny how the writing life is like this constant exercise and leveling up. It's decades of struggle and in, in obscurity. And then it just kind of sneaks up on you. And suddenly like you're in fucking Spain with the daily media schedule and like a translator who's probably worked for like the UN or some shit like that. <laughs> and it's funny though, how even then you keep feeling like you're stuck in the slog because someone still has to do all the fucking work. All right. Anyhow, keep slogging, keep working as I am about to do. But also, please remember, enjoy yourself too. If you're a mid-career writer like me, take some time to look up and go, well, shit, this is what it is. This is being a writer. And acknowledge that at any point in your career, you could, in fact, be at the pinnacle. Or, of course, just the beginning. Enjoy the ride. And get back to work.